All right, boys and girls, episode 94 with Brendan Johnston is about to start. And this is part two of her interview as she reached out to me as I was on my trip in Europe. And I believe it was from a post I did about mental health. And then she wanted to talk about gut health as it's directly related to our brains and what some of the issues she sees when she is helping others with their nutrition. And um, this interview was more of just kind of a laid back discussion. I had actually no questions prepared and we just kind of you know went back and forth on the topic and it turned out to be a really good episode and really interesting too. So I hopefully you guys enjoy it and get something out of it. And, you know, Brenda's always a pleasure to talk to. She has such a great, uh, great personality. So here it is. Let's go and uh, listen. Uh, hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski. And joining me today is the lovely Brenda Johnston. Say hello. Hello, everyone. Awesome. So let's break the ice for the audience and uh, tell them what you got planned for this weekend and hopefully you're ready for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not actually ready for Christmas. I'm one of those like last minute shoppers. Oh, God. Uh, I'm sad to say I tried very hard this year to do some shopping ahead of time, but you know, it just, I don't know. I'd like to think it's a tradition now that I just last minute shop. <laughs> Jeez. I like, I have the anxiety already for you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I, the mall gives me anxiety when there's that many people, but it's also kind of fun because, I don't know, I feel like you find a lot of really cool um, things when you go last minute because you're kind of more focused because you're just going like, you have this intent to just get it done. Yeah. So then when Christmas comes, I will be ready. <laughs> nice. Do you have snow out there already? You know what? We had a lot of snow here. Um, a few days ago, and then it all melted, and now we have a lot of mud. But wow. apparently we're supposed to be getting a lot of snow again today. I keep looking at the window because the weather network was talking about this horrible snowstorm that we're going to get, but I see nothing yet. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of snow. Like, are you, or do you hate snow when it comes down? Um, you know what? I used to not be a fan of winter, but ever since we adopted our dog... Uh, he just has so much fun in the snow, and I've learned that if I dress appropriately, the snow is actually really fun. Yeah. So I'm starting to like it a lot more. What I don't like is when it starts to melt and get all dirty and yucky. I like the pretty white fluffy snow. <laughs> Same here. And yeah, my dog loves the snow too, and I remember we took her snowshoeing for the first time, and when we got to the top of the mountain, she did that thing where like dogs dive into the snow yeah. and just dis disappeared and it started crawling into it. I'm like, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, they're just so funny. And he like, I don't call it walking in the snow. He fla he face plows. He yeah. just like shoves his head in. That's I'm awesome. Like, Whatever, man. <laughs> um, so to get this thing started, to give the audience a backstory, I believe when I was in Poland drinking a bunch of vodka and drinking and eating like crazy you messaged me on instagram and you're like oh we should totally do another podcast episode about how the gut reacts to all the vodka and alcohol along with i think it was my mental health posts i did i think yes yeah, yeah. and it'd be kind of cool to get your take on how our gut or our so-called second brain is connected when it comes to you know not only our physical health but also our mental health and kind of just go from there and see where the conversation goes. 
Yeah, man. It was when I saw that post that you did, I was like, oh, we totally have to talk about this. Because this past year, um, as you know, in my nutritional therapy practice, I work a lot with these people. And you would think that a lot of the things that they come to me for are weight loss. And that is like a huge thing. But one of the things that kept coming up this past year, especially, was I was seeing all these people and they were having like chronic headaches and allergies and depression and anxiety. And they would go see their doctors and the doctors would prescribe them these drugs and then their other symptoms would get worse. And I was like, it's so interesting to me that all of these people are suffering from anxiety. Like anxiety is a huge thing right now. Like I'm going to give you a Canadian statistic because Mm -hmm. I'm Canadian, obviously. So like one in four Canadians actually will experience at least one anxiety disorder in their lifetime. Like one in four. And right now what's happening is anxiety and depression are two of the most common mood disorders and anxiety is holding the number one spot in Canada. And I'm not sure what that's like in other places, but I mean, that's a pretty crazy statistic. And so as I started like working with all these people, the one thing that really got me was a lot of these people were bringing their kids to me. And so I was seeing like 10 year olds and 12 year olds and 14 year olds with severe anxiety And all I could think was, this is really weird and really interesting all at the same time. I want to know more about this. And so, I mean, we talked about it before, but like all disease starts in your gut. And I say dis-ease because I'm talking about like disease in your body. And Hippocrates said that. I didn't make that up. (laughs) And one of the things that is huge is as a society, we are so stressed out like all the time. And stress is not always a bad thing. Like sometimes stress is good, but what people don't realize is how stress affects, well, they realize how it affects our mental state, but what they don't realize is how much it affects our physical body and how the two kind of play off of each other. So this is where it kind of gets really interesting. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting to me. So if everything kind of starts in our gut, right, that's really important because stress plays a major role in the health of one of our most important organ systems, our gut, our digestive system. And so people don't really appreciate or understand that there's these connections between the brain and the digestive system. The stomach and the intestines actually have more nerve cells than our entire spinal cord. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's actually why some experts call the digestive system our second brain. So it's interesting because when we start looking at this as a whole, that means digestion isn't just key to a stress-free and healthy body, but it actually plays a huge role in mental health. And so I go back to this thing where these people are just going to see doctors who are giving them chemical drugs, but the chemical drugs are actually interfering with the digestive process in most cases. So now we have this vicious cycle happening, and people don't understand that it's all kind of connected. And I was having a conversation with somebody, and I do, I've been doing all of these presentations about stress this past year. And one of the big things is like how we eat is just as important as what we eat. So digestion is north to south, right? Like it starts in your brain and ends in your end, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the state that your mind and body is in when you're eating, like that's just as important as what you were eating. So let's, let's play a game. Imagine I have a plate of like plain chicken and broccoli. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I were to put that plate in front of a vegan or vegetarian and say, you need to eat this, they would be completely stressed out and be like, no, I'm not eating that. If I were to put that same chicken and broccoli in front of somebody who's been chronically dieting for years, they would look at that plate and see deprivation. They would probably eat it because in their head they have to eat it because that's what they're supposed to eat. If I take that same plate and I put it in front of an athlete, the athlete is really the only person who's going to benefit from that meal because they're looking at it and they're in a state of, man, that's fuel and it's going to make me stronger. And so, especially when it comes to people who are chronically dieting, right, we sit there and we're like, oh, I've got to eat this and I don't even like it. Okay, first of all, why are you eating shit that you don't like? (laughs) People need to stop doing that. We need to accept that certain foods affect us in certain ways and there are ways to like be healthy and enjoy food. I always, I get a giggle because I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm seeing all these posts like, oh yeah, I'm training and I'm only eating like this bland, disgusting food. And I'm sitting there going, really? Cause I'm eating this really delicious hamburger. It might not be on a bun, <laughs> but it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was going to like to stop you for a second. Cause you were yeah. saying like a lot of great stuff. Uh, the first thing with the anxiety thing and you're seeing kids, is there like a common like trend you're seeing that all these kids have in common or what do you think is kind of causing them at such a young age to have anxiety? Oh my gosh. There's a couple things that are in common. One, a lot of these kids are eating a lot of processed foods. Okay. And so... <laughs> Sometimes we eat things that we think are good for us, but they're not actually good for us. So like a lot of processed cereals, these kids are starting their days off with cereal, which is great, but that's like a giant insulin spike. Um, These kids are not eating enough vegetables. These kids are not taking a probiotic, which in this case, they really should be because the foods they're eating are not conducive to having a healthy body. So sometimes we need a little bit of support. The other thing too, obviously, and I don't necessarily want to go here, but social media is causing these kids to kind of see reality in a different way. So there's a constant comparison thing going on. They're constantly comparing themselves to insta families or insta Mm -hmm. people is what I like to call them. Like they're creating these realities that aren't necessarily real, but it really comes down to the foods they're eating. And I was talking to a couple of them and I was really surprised because, and I mean, I'm 43, so I don't really remember high school. (laughs) I remember that (laughs) far back, but they're telling me like they don't necessarily have time to eat properly. So maybe they get like a half an hour lunch, but they have to transit from one side of the school to the other side of the school. And certain instructors won't let you eat snacks in class or like, it's just crazy. And none of these kids are drinking enough water and water is so key. It's important for cell to cell communication. So if you think about like I hear people be like, oh, I have like one glass of water a day. I'm like, oh my God, how are you? <laughs> how do you live? <laughs> how, is that? how are you walking and going to the bathroom? But that's the reality is they're like, I don't have time to drink water. So me hearing a kid 
doesn't have time to do something makes me think we have a problem that's a little bit larger that needs to be addressed. But the other challenge with that is you also have the teachers and the instructors who also are not they either don't have time or they're not taking the time to do these things, right? So it's like a learned habit. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you brought up that social media thing because I was talking to two of my clients. They're parents of uh, two children. One is eight years old and I think the daughter is five. And I asked them, like, you know, when's the right time for your oldest to get a cell phone? And I was, like, really curious to see, like, how they would respond. They're like, yeah, I think when he's 10, we'll give him his first cell phone. I'm like, holy crap, 10 years old with a cell phone. I'm like, I remember when I got my first cell phone, I was like 16 and I was like, man, this is so cool to have a cell phone, but 10 years old, like that's really early. 16, man. I think I was like, (laughs) I don't know, 19. I don't even remember. It it changes so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, they're just exposed so much more than, you know, past generations. So I guess growing with the times, 10 years old, having anxiety issues, I guess is normal, is the norm now. It's kind of crazy to think that way. That's really sad that that's the norm, though, and it's something that's fairly easy to change. And it's tough, too, because I hear a lot of people, well, you know, eating healthy is really expensive. It's actually, it doesn't have to be if you do things a little differently. Like people are like, oh, well, fresh vegetables are really expensive, especially off season. Yeah, they are. That's why I eat frozen vegetables. Yeah. Like there's ways to change things and just kind of support your body. And it's just, it was, I'm going to use the word scary. It was scary to me to see these kids with anxiety. And the interesting thing is A lot of these kids have other underlying problems that are related to their gut health. Like they'll have skin problems. Um, They'll have things like acne or or they'll have eczema or eczema, however people like to say that. It's like tomato, tomato. (laughs) But they have all of these other issues. And it's like, man, kids shouldn't have to deal with that. Like kids should be able to be kids. Now, here's the other interesting thing is that the fact that the parents are bringing their kids in at such a young age and is, like, noticing it. So is there anything you've noticed that the parents are saying when you've been meeting these kids? The interesting thing that happens is it's usually the parent comes to see me first Mm -hmm. and then realizes that some of the things that are going on with them are the same things happening with their kids. Hmm. And so the challenge that they're having is when you try to get like a teenager (laughs) not to eat chocolate bars or not to eat sugar granola bars or not to eat things, it's very difficult. (laughs) Yeah, big time. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, again, it's a vicious cycle. And hopefully you guys, my dog is here with me and he's chewing on his stick. So (laughs) you hear some sort of gnawing noise. That's my dog. (laughs) It's all good. Um, Going back to the example you gave of like putting that broccoli and chicken in front of people. um, The one thing that came up to my mind was when I started reading, I think it was Georgie Fear's book about her way of how she coaches nutrition. And she likes to recommend to people going down to like a three or four meal a day compared to 
you know, what other people have seen out there are five, six small meals for optimal fat loss and all that crap. But having just three meals in a day with your breakfast, lunch, and dinner that are probably bigger because of, you know, you're cutting out the other two or three. And when you sit down to eat and you have a bigger meal in front of you and say it's all veggies and, you know, your chicken breast or whatever it is, it looks more appealing. So you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, this doesn't really feel like a diet. I'm eating until I'm full and I don't feel that bad. So it's almost like you're tricking your brain that you're on a diet, but not really. And you're eating (coughs) all the right things. And even like personally, like I do intermittent fasting, so I get to have bigger meals. So I never feel deprived. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I look forward to eating. And I recently just switched to only having two meals a day. And they're like fairly large meals. So I get all my calories in and I'm always satisfied. And I don't ever feel like I need to like binge on other food or snack during the day and go over my calorie limit. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. So years ago, I used to be of the, oh, you've got to eat five or six times a day, whatever. And as I've grown and developed and learned and realized that everybody is an individual. (laughs) And so I think the eating five or six times a day is great if you're like a bodybuilder and you have to eat 4,000 calories a day because that's a lot of damn food. So when I was training or while I am training with my coach, on my days where I'm lifting weights, I eat probably four times just because like I can't get all the food in me. And then on my non-training, like my rest days, sometimes I'll only be eating two or three times. So I think it's really... It's not even about how many times you're, no, I'm lying. It actually is about that. I have a lot of people who are on the verge of probably being diabetic. And so their bodies, they're, they're sugar burners, right? So they can't go more than two or three hours without needing to eat because their blood sugar drops so low. And the problem is these people, and a lot of them are these kids too, is they're waking up in the morning and having like the cereal or a bagel with peanut butter or whatever on it, and they're giving themselves a huge insulin spike first thing in the morning. And so when you do that, the, you're just setting yourself up for failure the entire rest of the day because your body is, your blood sugar is like completely wonky. It's all over the place. And then all you want to do is keep eating more and more and more and more carbs. So I think it's very important to start to kind of look at like how you're actually starting your day off, what you're eating and how you're eating. Like what state of mind are you in when you're eating? The thing that always freaks me out too is a lot of these kids, they're into sports, right? So their parents throw them in the back of a car and they shove a sub in them while they're driving on the way to sports. So they've just hoovered down this giant whatever it is and then they get out of the car and they go and play their sports like there's no digestion time and your digestive system does need a break so with you and your intermittent fasting you're giving your digestive system a break anybody who has a lot of weight to lose really needs to kind of be converting their bodies into being able to use fat for energy and also giving their digestive system a freaking break. If you're eating every two to three hours, it's never resting. <laughs> yeah. And I think like with intermittent fasting too, it, it only works for me because I'm a very structured person. And mm-hmm. like every day at 12 o'clock, I eat my first meal. And every day at 8 p.m., I eat my last meal. Whereas an average person, they would like go stir crazy. And I remember when I first stumbled upon intermittent fasting and I 
told a couple of clients what they were, I was doing. They're like, oh, I should be doing that. I'm like, yeah, probably not. And wow. I've literally had every client who's ever tried it. And I told them a bunch of times, I'm like, this is not for you. This is not for you. They're like, no, no, no I got to do this. It's going to be the way they've all failed miserably at it. Like I've not had one person do it that I've trained or known personally go through it and turn it into a lifestyle because it's just too much structure for them. And yeah. again, it's such an individual thing. So anytime I get a new client, they're like, oh, so like, what should I be doing and eating on a daily basis? I'm like, that's a really loaded question. And it depends. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, in a way I do a form of that, but I do it while I'm sleeping. So that old thing, oh, don't eat past seven or you'll get fat. Well, not really. Yeah. It depends what you're eating past seven. But for me, I try to have my last meal at six or seven at night. And then I'm basically fasting through the night. Like I'll go 12 or 14 hours before my next meal. So I'm essentially doing something very similar. Just I'm asleep. Also, because if you ever see me when I'm hungry, that you, you don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. That, that's how I know my wife's angry. I'm like, have you eaten yet? She's like, no. I'm like, okay, let's go get some food. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to get into like what happens in the stomach, in the gut when someone goes on like a restrictive diet. Cause I feel like the people out there that are in general population, when they think about weight loss, they think of, I need to get on a restrictive diet, lower my calories, eat shit that I don't like and hope for the best. So what happens in the gut when you're on minimal calories and just eating like a bunny rabbit of food that's bland and disgusting? <laughs> oh man, this is like one of my favorite topics because like our body is always sending us messages. We just probably don't listen to them or most people yeah. don't listen to them. So one of the things, and this is very interesting, especially it was for me because I did restrictive dieting for years and so what happens is when we start restricting, our body almost, um, our bodies are really smart. So normally what happens is you put food in your mouth and then the digestive process kind of starts in your mouth and the enzymes start happening in your mouth, in your saliva. And then as the food goes down, you know, it breaks down. But what happens is when you go on restrictive dieting, you begin to produce less stomach acid. And when that happens, you're not able to break down food properly. So without proper stomach acid, your body can't break down or absorb the foods you're eating. And so here's where it gets gross. Your carbs that you eat, they're fermenting. The fats that you're eating are insidifying, and the proteins are putrefying in your gut. And then, yeah, mm, it's <laughs> yeah. And then bad bacteria has this like party because it's just feasting on all this rotten food or rotting food. And before you know it, you end up with bacterial overgrowth. And when you have bacterial overgrowth, that also means that you have too much bad bacteria. And so your body is not able to kind of fight off invading bacteria. So you get the colds and the flus and the things you can't get rid of. And this becomes a huge problem because 75 to 80% of your immune system is actually located in your gut. It's in your small intestine. So all of these people I see that are chronically sick, I'm like, oh, you have gut problems. But I can't really say that because that would be weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but here's where the, the connection to the mind comes in. So 75 to 80% of your immune system is in your gut. Well, serotonin, which is I like to call our happy hormone, it's a brain neurotransmitter. 
And it's basically responsible for regulating appetite, mood, sleep, and relaxation. Guess what? 90% of the body's serotonin is actually produced in our gut, and only 10% is produced in our brain. Jeez. So when we go to the doctors to get these chemical drugs, it's not fixing anything. It's masking the underlying problem. And I'm not saying that there are never situations where there is a chemical imbalance, but there's always another root cause that's helping things along. And so the other thing that happens is GABA and there's GABA supplements that are, they're they're a buzzword now too. Everybody's like, I'm going to take GABA. Well, GABA is this chemical messenger that's pretty much distributed in our brain. If we have too much bad bacterial overgrowth, it actually, it prevents the GABA receptors in our brain from actually being put to good use. And so when you have this decrease in GABA receptors, it's associated with mood disorders, chronic depression, and anxiety. So see, there's this circle again. So the other interesting thing is people, when I talk about not having enough stomach acid, one of the signs of not having enough stomach acid is actually heartburn. And so people will go, oh, I have too much stomach acid, and then they take things like Tums, which actually makes the problem worse, and you don't want to be doing that. I love Tums. (laughs) No. (laughs) They taste so good. (laughs) Yeah. They completely, and then you go to the doctor, and they give you, like, these acid-suppressing drugs, and that makes it even worse, and your body can't focus on breaking foods not like it's that everything is a cycle also and here's one for people gum chewing is horrible so years ago i used to watch the biggest loser because i was like oh this is i love the show it's inspiring whatever and i got in this bad habit that i picked up from that show which was if you're hungry just chew on some gum here take this trident it tastes like watermelon pastries or whatever and so when you chew gum it's actually tricking your body it's like You put the gum in your mouth and your body's like, yeah, man, the food is coming down the pipe soon. And then no food comes down the pipe. And then your body's like, well, what the hell? Next time they do this to me, I'm not going to make the enzymes and I'm not going to help them digest this food because they're not actually going to feed me because they're just tricking me. So gum is actually not good. (laughs) (laughs) So what what happens on like... I would say like a cellular level at the gut if you're constantly chewing gum to kind of, you know, suppress your appetite like long term, what can that lead to? Like horrible problems with bacterial overgrowth because you're basically shutting off your body's ability to produce stomach acid. But here's here's the thing, like stress shuts down our body's ability to produce stomach acid. Okay. I only ask because I know in like the bodybuilding world when they're on their strict diet right before a show, oh, yeah. that's like one of the tricks is like, oh, have some gum or have some, like a mint or something just to like get you going for a I couple more say, hours. <laughs> I would say eat the mint over the gum. Okay. Why is that? And with bodybuilders too, like they're a whole different species, right? Like their bodies are just so developed and primed differently than a normal person. Like, I did a nutritional assessment on a bodybuilder. I have a lot of bodybuilder friends, and just for fun, I was like, can I do this to you because I want to see what's going on? And, you know, she was perfectly fine. Interesting. But if you take the average person, well, ironically, (coughs) excuse me, after her show is when she started to have some heartburn issues Mm -hmm. because she started to introduce other foods into her diet. 
And so we put her on a digestive enzyme and she's just fine. But it's very interesting to me because if you take somebody who's in prime physical shape like that and then you take like an average person or somebody who's overweight and needs to lose weight, it's interesting to see how their bodies adapt to things. I wonder if like for bodybuilders, it's because of the structure that they have around their diet if that might be the case or the fact that they're actually exercising regularly. Cause I always find that, you know, when like anytime I meet somebody and they don't exercise, they don't eat well and they have all these like health issues. I'm like, I wonder if all these health issues would just go away if you started like walking every day and ate fairly well. So I'm oh, wondering if like, the honestly, body, yeah. they, a lot of those issues would go away if they drank some damn water. Think <laughs> yeah. about bodybuilders drink a huge amounts of water. Like huge amounts and bodybuilders are eating very well. And the ones who do it properly are eating proper healthy fats and healthy fat is essential for your body to thrive. And so when you look at like a restrictive dieter, what do a lot of them do? And I was one of them before we avoid fat like the plague Yep. or we eat the wrong types of fat. And then we're like, and we overdose on things like, cookies and diet products that are marketed to us as healthy and they're really nothing but little sugar bombs or insulin spikes like when you have a diet food the reason it tastes good is because they're adding other shit into it to make it taste good (laughs) so like i go back to the just eat real food (laughs) just eat if it comes in a box and has a nutritional label it's probably not the greatest thing to be putting in your body Am I perfect and do I only eat organic whatever? No. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, no, this is real life. Well, but at the same time, I just, I'm more conscious of what I'm consuming and how I'm consuming it. So stop freaking multitasking when you're eating. <laughs> well, the other <laughs> interesting thing too is like, um, like whey protein. And I've had a, some clients where they ask like, oh, should I have protein powder? I'm like, yeah, sure. If you feel like, you need it. Anytime I like say like a protein shake is a good idea is like first thing in the morning you have like no time to sit down and eat, throw a shake together. But the interesting thing is when they like go to a whey protein, they might get stomach issues and I'm like, well, it might be the lactose in it. It might be this. It might be the sugar that they added, the filler or whatever it is. And I always try to get them off of the standard whey protein and go like a vegan option. Mm-hmm. And that kind of tends to fix things but the funny thing is the moment i get a client to try a vegan option of a protein shake they're like oh this thing tastes disgusting i'm like it tastes like dirt (laughs) and i'm like well because they put good things in it whereas the other one was filled with sugar and crap well and the other challenge we run into with those kind of shakes right is that a lot of people are not willing to invest the money in a quality one yeah And so if you go to, like, the local supermarket or whatever and you pay, like, $30 for some sort of brand that's sitting on the shelf, chances are it is filled with a lot of crap. Like, you have to really look at the ingredients. And, I mean, I am fortunate I can use whey and it doesn't bother me. But at the same time, I also switch it up sometimes if I need to. And I'll switch to a vegan one because just like food – it's not good to eat the same foods over and over and over and over and over again every single day because your body, all of the foods have different nutrients that affect different organs in our bodies. So if you're constantly eating the same thing, then 
doesn't it just make sense that you're overloading certain organs of your body with certain like it you just should be changing it up <laughs> yeah that makes sense and i think this is going to bring into my next question is like with food allergy tests where you know you get blood taken from you they send it down to the state somewhere and then you get this report back saying like all these foods you have you know a high allergic whatever they want to call it and you know you can't eat eggs bread and anything that you enjoy on a daily basis but you can eat squash and hemp protein like what, what's your opinion about that I'm not a huge fan of the blood test thing for food allergies. Um, I've had them done, and I remember being told I could eat certain things and knowing, no, I actually can't. Like, these things don't make me feel good. Yeah. Um, again, I think it's people have to remember, like, every, it's bio-individuality, right? Like, everybody is completely different. If I were to eat something like eggs, for instance, if I ate them every single morning, like every day of my life, I would probably end up developing some sort of sensitivity eventually because your body just, it gets overloaded with things, right? And so I actually took eggs out of my diet for a little while and I took um, uh, dairy. I just had a brain fart there. (laughs) took dairy out of my life for a little while and I took wheat out of my life for a little while. And it's interesting, just it goes back to like our body is always sending us messages, right? You just have to pay attention to what it's saying. And so with me, and I don't, the whole gluten thing, right? People are like, gluten, blah, it's the devil. Gluten is not the devil. What is the devil is the way we process these foods and manipulate the gluten, and that's why it reacts in people. If you look back, like, cavemen never had gluten intolerance. And, like, it's just, it's so weird because we're doing these things to our food that are actually making us sick, What's interesting about that whole gluten thing, I don't know if you saw it, it was maybe a couple of years ago when Jimmy Kimmel went and got like a film crew to go <laughs> out to that uh, like park in LA and then they're, yeah. they're like, oh, are you gluten free? They're like, yeah, of course. They're like, can you tell us what gluten is? They're like, well, you know, it's found in breads and pastas. They're like, well, what's, what is it? They're like, yeah, what actually I, is it? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> they're it's like, bad what? for you. It's bad. So I just don't eat it. It's bad yeah. for you. <laughs> And I also don't think, like, everybody's like, well, should I do keto? Should I be vegan? Should I be vegetarian? No, you should be whatever your body wants you to be. Like, I eat a bit of everything. I love vegan food. I'm not great at making it, so (laughs) I'm glad I have a lot of vegan friends. (laughs) I do eat animal protein, but depending on what I'm doing, like, it, it varies, like, I feel like you just kind of need to know how your own body works. And the other thing that terrifies me is people are like, keto's huge right now, okay? Oh, and I so <laughs> I have had clients who are like, oh, yeah, I'm totally, I'm, only, I'm eating keto. And I'm like, okay, how's that working out for you? Because you don't have a gallbladder and you can't <laughs> absorb uh, fat properly. <laughs> They're awesome. like, yeah, it is weird because I've been in the bathroom a lot more. Yeah. So if you have somebody who's not aware, like so many of the population doesn't have a gallbladder, which is also crazy for gut health, (laughs) but they don't realize that you actually need your gallbladder because doctors 
are like, oh, you don't need your gallbladder. It's useless. No, it's not. <laughs> just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, let's just take that sucker out. And it's fine if you take it out. You have to support your body. <laughs> and most people don't know how to do that. So when I hear people going, oh, I'm going to do keto. Okay, you know what? Keto might work great for you. But you have to understand what's going on in your body first. Like, yeah. I mean, essentially, I would say I kind of probably, if you were to look at my diet, people would go, oh, she eats keto. No, I just don't eat a lot of refined carbohydrates because my body doesn't store or use glycogen properly right now. So I just don't eat them. It's funny that you brought that up because I'm going to be interviewing Lee Peel tomorrow. And just looking at the questions I was getting, a lot of people referred to her to act like, take on the whole keto topic. So I'm kind of curious about your opinion about the diet. Should people be doing it? Do you hate it? Just go for it. I don't, I don't hate it. I think it's got benefits. I think that a lot of people do it wrong, like really fucking wrong. Like I see these Instagram feeds and it's like, oh, for lunch today, ate these sausages wrapped in bacon, dipped in butter, rolled in lard. And I'm like, <laughs> nice. that's not actually what keto is. Like keto is not a free pass to eat like an asshole. <laughs> it's not a free <laughs> yeah. pass. Like it's not, it's... <sighs> It drives me insane because it's like anything. People look at it and they go, oh, yeah, I can just totally eat, like, crap, shit, fatty food all the time. <laughs> no, if you eat properly and do keto properly, I definitely think it has benefits. But the challenge that I see is that most people are not informed or educated and they're not doing it properly. There's some people who will not even eat a vegetable because they it's a carb. And it's like... Okay, but there's different types of vegetable carbs. Like, yeah, <laughs> you do need vegetables in your life. Like, they have vitamins and minerals that are good for you. And if I, I, it always makes me laugh, and I said this to somebody the other day, I was looking at somebody's Instagram thing, and I was like, man, they must have the smelliest farts because <laughs> their gut must just be like so angry because they are not eating any fiber, and all they're eating is like processed meat. <laughs> so See, gross. My, my whole thing with keto is like, you know, if someone can stick to it, lose weight, and they feel great, go for it. But to be like honest, like the way that they're doing keto is completely wrong. And I remember oh, yeah. um, I had Lyle McDonald on the show. He talked about it a lot. And I listened to another podcast with like one of this lead researchers in the keto uh, field. And where it like actually started from was some other dude figured out that if you put children who had seizures on a ketogenic yeah. diet, they stopped having seizures. And then somehow that exploded to the fitness <laughs> industry. Yeah, it, and was, like, yeah. It, it was originally developed for epilepsy <laughs> to help deal with that. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> now it's, the, it's, other it's thing, a thing. the thing I will say, and I mean... I think this is with like any kind of diet or cause or whatever. I feel like there's some keto people and I'm going to use the word fanatic here mm -hmm. because they will really push it on people. It's like, if you're not keto, then you're stupid and you're going to die. Like you, <laughs> I just feel like there's a time and a place for everything. And I think there's a lot of really vulnerable people, right? And you've been through weight loss like I have. And when you're at this mm -hmm. point 
and you just feel like nothing is working, if you see these people going keto, 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 you're going to do it. And if you're learning from somebody who is not necessarily doing it properly, then those are the habits that you're going to pick up. And so when you don't have success with it, it's really frustrating. And so you also take these, um, these people who need to lose weight, right? And we're talking about gut health here. If you are carrying around any extra weight, you have some sort of gut imbalance that you need to deal with. So nobody realizes that. And then they just jump from one thing to another thing to another thing, which creates more havoc in their gut, which creates more havoc in their whole entire body. And I, I just feel like it comes down to education, right? But you get to this place where you're just so, so kind of desperate and, just looking for something that's going to work that you're willing to try anything. And so you, you fall in line with these people who are like, keto, keto, it's the, it's the best thing ever. Okay. Maybe for some people it is, but it's not going to be the be all end all for everyone. Just like I've had people who were strict vegans for years and then they realized that that wasn't working for their body mm-hmm. and they had to start adding in some animal proteins and for some of them, it was tough because it was an ethical thing for them. But they realized, like, my body is not working properly. <laughs> and it actually, it needs another form of protein. So, again, it's like, and I'm going to say this over and over, it's all bioindividuality. We're all different. And the main thing is... Interestingly, if we could all calm the hell down and be less stressed out or at least learn to manage our stress differently and deal with life situations differently, we wouldn't be chronically stressed out and we wouldn't have a lot of these problems. <laughs> um, so going back to like gut um, health, like what can someone do to make sure that their gut bacteria is in check and just not all over the place causing problems? So, I mean, there are actual tests you can do, but I don't. you don't need to go so crazy like that. Like, honestly, I feel like everybody on the planet should be taking a good quality probiotic. Um, but here's the thing. You get people that are like, oh, I take a probiotic. Okay, but then you have to also eat prebiotic foods, so like fibrous foods. So I'm going to compare this to Pac-Man. So the probiotic is like those little dots that the Pac-Mans eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so the prebiotic foods, food and the probiotic, they go together and they work together to build and create new colonies of healthy, good bacteria. So if you're just taking a probiotic, but you're not eating vegetables, keto people, um, (laughs) you're going to have a problem. So you have to, you have to be doing both things. You have to be including like the fibrous vegetables into your life, like the leafy greens and the cruciferous veggies and stuff. I'm not saying you got to go eat potatoes and starch carbs. I'm saying just eat some damn leafy greens. (laughs) That's like key. And even with kids, like kids don't like vegetables, freaking hide them and stuff. There's a couple good cookbooks actually where they do hide vegetables and always, um, People are like, well, can I just, like, drink my vegetables? <sighs> sure, but the problem with that is you're not getting the fiber unless you leave all the pulp and stuff in your juice that you're making. And if you're buying the juice at a store, then chances are you're really just drinking a lot of sugar. So eat the actual food. Well, what do you think about, like, greens powder? Is that worth it? Hey, you know what, man? 
I, okay, so here's the thing. I'm always going to say eat your veggies first. Yeah. I don't always get enough greens into my life. So in my morning shake, I do add a greens powder because I sometimes just can't eat like as many vegetables as I need to, especially in the winter in Canada. Like our veggies suck in the winter. Yeah. So (laughs) I would not say that it's a bad thing or a good thing. I would say if you take them and you find that it helps you, awesome. For me, it works for me to throw them in my shake in the morning to know that I'm getting some of them, but I'm not getting the fiber from that. So I also make sure that I eat enough real veggies during the day that I get the fiber. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm not, I I would rather people just eat food than supplement. It's even like with the shakes, like I'll do the shake if I'm in a hurry or before I work out, but it's never like a dinner for me or like a lunch. Like it's a, if I need to use it, I use it. Yeah. The other thing that like just popped in my head is like, because I think you you know that I really like coffee and like I'll have a lot of it. What happens in the gut if someone is a chronic coffee drinker, like myself? <laughs> well, you know what? It's coffee. I mean, you drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> it can end up messing with your stomach acid and stuff as well. But what tends to happen with coffee is it's a diuretic, right? So it flushes things out of you including sometimes it can mess with your stomach bacteria. So, like, you drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, I do. (laughs) What I would say to you is make sure you're supporting your body in other ways and the coffee's not going to kill you. Like, I don't ever think that people should be cutting things out of their life completely, and I can just hear other practitioners listening to this going, Oh, my God, no! (laughs) This is real life, man. Like, you need to be able to do things that are sustainable. I think for you, maybe, if you could cut back a little, it might be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe a little. But I'm like, see, I think I told you, like, I don't get any kind of jitters or energy from it. I just, like, really like the taste. So first thing in the morning, I'll make myself, like, a quad shot Americano, essentially, and just, like, down that bad boy. And then maybe in the afternoon have, like, another one, and then that's about it. So the thing I would say with that is that the caffeine can have an effect on your adrenal system. Mm -hmm. So if you're not getting proper sleep or you're not eating enough veggies or you're not getting enough uh, probiotics in you and then your adrenal system, it's like it's the superhero, right? It always wants to kick in and save the day, but it gets tired. And so then you end up getting blood sugar dysregulation over time. And that's where you start running into problems. But, I mean, overall, you take good care of yourself and you eat well and you exercise. So of all the people on the planet, I wouldn't be as worried about you because I know you're doing other things to support your body. If you were a couch potato sitting on a couch eating chips and bonbons all day and nothing but refined (laughs) processed foods and never exercising and drinking, like, um, big gulpy-sized coffees all day, then I'd be really concerned that you were going to end up with proper or with blood sugar issues. And that's the thing too, going back to the gut health thing is when we are chronically stressed out and caffeine is a stressor on our body. 
So when we're chronically stressed out, we have chronic cortisol output. And everybody knows cortisol because it's been demonized too. People are like, oh, it's the fat hormone. Yes and no, it does have a purpose. But when it's chronic, our liver, which has over 500 functions, doesn't work properly. Then the strain on our pancreas means that insulin receptors don't work properly. And then when insulin levels increase, our adrenal system gets upset and it tries to help, but then it gets tired out. And then that's when you end up with the blood sugar dysregulation. And you don't have to be a diabetic to have blood sugar issues. Like most of North American people have them. And the negative impacts with that stuff, obesity, obviously, weight control issues, hormonal dysfunctions like menopause. I hate when doctors are like, you're in menopause. Okay, menopause is not a diagnosis. It's a symptom of a gut problem, actually. Chronic fatigue, you get inflammation, you get immune system issues. And then, of course, the big ones, depression and anxiety and things like ADHD. How many kids do you see now that are being put on drugs for ADHD? Like, it's, it's sad. Like, if we could teleport back to the 50s, I would say, and eat the foods that have the nutrients we need, that would be great. But the problem is, even if we could do that, the states that our bodies are in now, like, we're so friggin' stressed out, we're not absorbing the nutrients that we do get. <laughs> so... People are always like, oh, man, that's really scary. You're like just a big ball of depression. <laughs> I'm not, though. <laughs> it's interesting because you look at it and go, okay, well, how can I start? What can I do in my daily life that will help me? Okay, first of all, sit and eat your meals and don't multitask while you're eating. I used to have this thing where it was like if I'm not eating and doing something I'm wasting time no sit your ass down at your table not your couch not in front of your tv at your table and just sit there and eat I laugh because in office buildings I constantly see people walking around and eating their food and I'm like just sit for 10-15 minutes like I'm not saying sit there for an hour 10 or 15 minutes sit and let the food digest and let your body have time to absorb it and don't be doing 500 things. And with parents, it's really hard because one of the things I see a lot is they're at the kitchen table and little Bobby Sue needs something. So then the mom gets up and they're never eating their own food. They're always constantly up and down, up and down, up and down. Or they're up and clearing the table before people are even done. No, just sit there and eat. We do this thing called the 20-minute meal. Time how long it takes you to eat. And honestly, the first time I did this, I almost crapped my pants. It took me four minutes to eat. I was like, that can't be right. But it was. And so then the next time you sit down, try to add four minutes onto it. And then try to add four minutes onto it. And then keep doing it until finally you have a 20-minute meal and you're sitting there absorbing the food. The thing is, even if you were to eat crappy foods, and I'm not telling anybody to go eat crappy food. I'm saying if you were but you were eating it in a calm, relaxed state, your body would actually process it differently. No, it makes sense because, like, in this day and age, like, you want to be checking Facebook while watching Netflix and eating at the same time and talking to someone. (laughs) And also chewing your food. Like, it sounds so basic and so simple, but just chew your food. It breaks it down from the large particles into smaller particles, and those are easier to digest. And so that makes it way easier for your intestine to absorb the nutrients. It's like chew, chew, chew. You should actually even chew your smoothies. I know that sounds weird, but you should chew them. So when you put it in your mouth, you kind of just chew because it makes the enzymes in your mouth start, right? 
And then another thing too that people can do that's absolutely free is breathe. <laughs> like in order for your digestive system to work properly, you need to be in a calm state. It needs to be in parasympathetic mode. And one way to do that is literally before you start eating, just take six to eight deep breaths before you eat. Like that's pretty simple, right? But we don't do it. <laughs> it's also a culture thing too. Cause like, I remember when I think I went to Jamaica and we went to a restaurant and, you know, like you order your food and I realized like we spent probably a good three hours in the restaurant and like the people beside us were from the States and they were getting angry that the food wasn't coming out fast enough. Oh, and, then yeah. I was, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, when I'm back home, like every restaurant, it's like madhouse. They're trying to get food out of the kitchen as fast as possible. But other parts of the world, like, it's an experience. Like, dinner takes, like, three, four hours before you're done. Whereas here, yeah, like you said, four minutes and you're done eating. I was, you just said it perfectly. And I, food should be an experience. It should be something where we sit down and we're, like, you enjoy what's going in your mouth. And you enjoy the textures and the flavors of it. And you appreciate it for what it's going to be doing for your body. It's not just like an emotional fix or an energy fix. Like it's food is an experience and it can be a really good kind of experience to be with other people too. Like the three hour dinners, like that is an experience. That's what we should be doing. But we're so, we're always plugged in and we're always like just, go 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 going we need to slow the hell down and understand that the world is not going to end if you take time to like yourself to actually eat properly and like spacing like your dinner that long you'll actually feel better and not feel like oh i need to take a nap after this whole meal oh 100 percent. and the other question or statement too is like ironically, we should eat our dinner and you shouldn't actually eat dessert on a full stomach. You should be waiting like an hour or so after to eat the dessert because when our stomachs are too full and then we're just shoving all the sugar in, that's when we end up with digestive issues as well because we're just not processing the food properly. So people this and, Christmas shouldn't be, like, shoving down all the Christmas cookies as fast as possible? <laughs> oh, my Manta. No. <laughs> but it's interesting because I just did a webinar last month about how to survive the holidays without packing on the pounds. And one of the things we say is, like, enjoy everything. Like, this goes back to the stress and the state of mind you're in when you're eating, right? If you're going in and you're, like eating all of this stuff and then you berate yourself and feel guilty and you're like, oh man, tomorrow I got to do 12 hours of cardio because I'm such a pig and I'm a glutton. Then your body is not processing that food properly because right off the hopper, you're stressed out about eating it. So grab the little things and have a little taste of everything. And a little trick is one, don't plant yourself right by the food table because <laughs> that's always trouble. And two, just kind of get a little plate, put your little food on the plate and go sit somewhere and have conversations and experience the holidays and don't just freak out over eating all of the food. There, somebody asked me, what are some foods you should avoid? None. Eat it all. It's the holidays. One bad meal or even two bad meals is not going to throw you completely off track. Like if you've put in work into something and then you eat 
a bad meal, you're not suddenly just like back to the starting point. That's not how it works, but that's how, where our brains go, right? <laughs> no, that's it makes sense, and it's like the last thing you want to do is just restrict yourself and just start thinking about all the foods you can't eat, and then you're gonna end up binging on all of it anyway because you've restricted yourself long enough. Yeah, and I think you said you did a podcast where you were talking about how you went completely restrictive for your wedding. Yeah. And so one of the issues that you would have run into is your body would have stopped producing enough stomach acid. And so when you started to eat these foods again, you probably had some bacterial overgrowth happening. And so you were probably having these cravings for these foods. And it's not even – willpower doesn't, doesn't even come into play with this. Like it's a chemical reaction. Your body literally – is like, okay, no, I want to eat all this stuff. And so that's one of the things that was probably happening to you. Like, And it makes you feel out of control, right? So when we do these restrictive things, we're really just setting ourselves up long-term for running into really large problems. I've had clients who do shake programs for like three months, and then they start eating real food, and they can't eat the real food because now not only do they have psychological issues with food but their bodies can't process the food and so then they feel sick when they eat and then that makes them not want to eat like see again vicious circle (laughs) yeah definitely um maybe this will be like the last question because we're already at an hour but uh because the the hour flew by really quickly i know (laughs) well like you you're so smart with this stuff so it's like i'm like writing down notes i'm like this is this great stuff and i like lose track of time but Maybe just tell the audience where they can find you again online. If you have any projects coming out, speaking engagements or anything like that, you can just plug away. Oh my gosh. I have so much cool stuff going on this past year. I've actually been getting certified in hypnosis and NLP um, so that I can help people with that. And I can do that uh, virtually and also in person, but people can find me at brendajohnstonhealth.com. Just bear with me because I'm in the process of updating my website. I'm going to be in January launching a free five day kind of kickstart challenge. I hate the word reset. I hate when people are like, let's reset after the holidays. (laughs) No, (laughs) let's just kickstart and start the year off. Great. And not look backwards. And then in February, and I'm, this is my applications are going to open up in January, but in February, I'm launching something that I'm so freaking excited about. It's a 12-week fat loss kind of mentorship program. It's called Fierce and Fabulous because I really want to teach people how to become the best versions of themselves possible. What, what's going to happen is I'm only taking eight people. And they're going to be working intensely with me for 12 weeks. It's a hybrid program. So it's one-on-one coaching, but I'm also going to be doing group stuff with them so that they can have the support of other people. So I'm like, I'm so excited about that. And so the applications will be going up soon for that. Um, And honestly, 2018 is just going to be full of some cool stuff. I have my new YouTube series that I'm going to be doing called Reality Bites. I have one episode up. I ran into some technical issues. (laughs) I didn't realize I was doing videos um, for other things, and I did not realize how large the files were going to be, and I ran out of room on my computer, so I had to buy... I know. I had to buy an external hard drive. But the Reality Bites YouTube series, if you go check out my YouTube channel. You can subscribe and then get notified. They're like three to six minute long videos about reality, really. So the next one that's going to be up is um, top reasons why you're probably not losing weight. So yeah, there's a lot going on. I'm excited. (laughs) 
Uh, so thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Awesome. I always love talking to you. We have good conversations. You let me go on rants. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 94 with Brenda Johnston. If you did not listen to part one, I'm going to link it into the show notes of this episode. So be sure to go and click the more button for whatever you know platform you're listening to for iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play. In the description, they'll have you know whatever I wrote about the episode and then usually it cuts off and then there's a option to click more and then you'll see it and hopefully you enjoyed this week for podcasts as i posted three in a row to make up for the lost episode this past weekend because of christmas and again please share this podcast with everybody you know Uh, Like, share, subscribe, do your thing on every social platform to get my message and this lovely podcast across to the masses. And I'll keep bringing amazing podcast interviews and my own rambling on episodes to come.